The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Good, y'all, and welcome to In the Deep, a deep league-focused fantasy baseball podcast, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. My name is Jordan White, and I am joined again by my good friend and co-host, Christopher Schwebzy Weber. Schwebzy, how are you doing this week, buddy? Hi, friends. I didn't forget this time. Ah. I'm, I'm You doing literally great. would have gotten away with it if you didn't say anything. I, I, you need to like be accountable if you're, you know, if you're not accountable for yourself, who's like, I, I can't rely on you to be accountable for me. Come on. Yeah, he wrapped no, me up I, with high friends last time. So he, he was making up for it this time by calling himself out. I'm just going to drop a second one somewhere in the middle of the podcast, just to kind of like balance those scales at some point. Ready for the ad break. Uh, that's going to be the ad break. It's just going to be me saying high friends over and over. It's like paying a penance. Yes. Uh, we're not alone once again this week. We've been on a roll with with the guests, uh, and I think this is probably we just keep going up and up and up, and it's going to go downhill after we have Yancey on later. But it's fine. Uh, rejoining us once again here on the pod is someone we admire dearly. They are the co-host of Take Me Into the Ball Game, uh, an author, actor of stage and screen, who most recently starred opposite Nicholas Baruti in Cryptid, which looks super duper cool, by the way, and is also a frequent guest analyst on MLB Network's Off Base and. The unofficial head of the gender non-conforming people love play discipline discipline party, Ellen Adair. Oh, thank you, thank you. If if it were possible for your introduction to be even better than it was last time, it was indeed. Yes, thank you so much for being part of the gender non-conforming people love play discipline. Uh, import. It's an important lobby. Um, it is absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Big fan Ellen. of the NCP LPDP. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so much. How could you yeah, do that so quickly? Not yet a 501c3 organization, but we're filing <laughs> our paperwork. <laughs> also on the tags slash metal bowl, we have Mabel the dog, who uh, <gasps> was sleeping for most of today and has now woken up and is eating her dinner. And so that means that she's going to be very sprightly and running around. I love this. We love a Perfect. Mabel appearance every single time we have you on the pod. Uh, so, Ellen, before we get into like the real deal baseball stuff, uh, do you want to plug anything at the front of the show? Anything you've been up to lately? Obviously, I said that you most recently starred in a movie called Cryptid, which I think looks awesome and I really want to watch. Well, uh, is there anything else you want to plug? Um, well, the thing that I could mention about Cryptid, um, it is in fact not the most recent 
movie that I shot, but it is the film that is coming out the soonest. So that will be on video on demand on like basically anywhere like Amazon, Apple, et cetera, starting on January 3rd. So that's coming up that folks are going to be able to see Cryptid in your small home theaters. And uh, I was also recently in L.A. at Comic-Con promoting a different movie. Um, This was actually the most recent movie that I shot. I shot it earlier this year uh, called Herd. And uh, it's uh, they're they're both sort of like horror movies of different genres. uh, But uh, Cryptid is sort of like a slow burn thriller. It's a monster movie, as you might guess, if you know what a cryptid is. And uh, Herd is a zombie film, but it's like uh, virus-based zombies. And uh, it is, it's actually a really beautiful script. And I'm, I'm very excited to, uh, to see it. I have seen Cryptid because I went to a number of film festivals where it showed this fall, but I have not actually yet seen Herd. Uh, so, I, th- I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention who plays your father in Herd. Indeed. Roger Dorn himself, Corbin Burnson. Yes. Which is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Oh God. It was so cool. I was definitely like, I'm gonna I'm gonna play this really cool and I'm not gonna like mention anything about how I have a podcast about baseball movies. And then like within the first hour of meeting him, I was like, So I have a <laughs> podcast about grading baseball movies on the twenty to eighty scouting scale and we've done all three of the major league movies and I think you're a comedic genius. And uh, he was really uh, a delightful person to work with. He, as you might expect, he just sort of says whatever he's thinking, which is delightful. And uh, and he is also, it was, it's not a particularly funny movie, but there were certain things that he did. Like there was one flashback scene that we were shooting and he was like, what if I, you know, when I come up to the top of this balcony i end up kicking an empty beer can off the balcony or like what if i sing row 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 your boat um and i was you know not supposed to be laughing in delight but i was secretly laughing in delight it was like the shot over your shoulder and you can see your shoulders kind of going up and down like this because you're trying to stifle a laugh sort of thing and i'm like i'm crying i'm crying that's what's going on (laughs) totally traumatized by my father whom i do not love (laughs) yeah it was great. It was really great. Um, but yeah, I had the best time. It's just uh, all I want to do is uh, get to be a queer action hero. And so this movie was uh, really a dream. This sounds wonderful. And I'm excited to see that one, too. Uh, so there's been a lot of stuff happening in terms of free agents and trades and things like that. So we kind of want to go over some of those and get your reactions. Obviously, we're, there's going to be some Phillies talk down the line. Uh, right. First off, I'm going to be really selfish and talk about the Sean Murphy trade. <laughs> uh you mean the william Contreras trade (laughs) yeah yeah uh how basically is what i'm gonna pose to you how yeah yeah i mean i think that the initial reaction was that it was very puzzling for atlanta to give up prospects for something that was like already a strength for them um Mm -hmm. with now the brewer william Contreras. congratulations by the way Thank you um, so much. And Travis Darno and Pena, like they already had three. Um, yeah. It was sort of a situation where it's like one team is hoarding all of the catchers and this other team is hoarding all of the shortstops. Um, but particularly when Contreras is younger than Murphy by four whole years and has two more years of free agency and just had a fantastic season, 
Like, Mm -hmm. yes, Murphy had played half of his games in the sort of terrible hitters submarine of uh, the Coliseum, but Contreras still had a better offensive season by WRC+. He had Mm -hmm. uh, 138 to Murphy's 122, which corrects for like playing in the, I mean, it's like the opposite of a submarine, actually. It's like the huge battleship. Um, So like most people who play fantasy were probably going to be taking like, well, like both of the contrari over Murphy, even if not by much. But I think this is just, it's not a fantasy trade. It's, it's a real world trade. And I think that it's possible that Anthopolis was number one, maybe taking the sure thing over the gamble. So like Contreras wasn't particularly good in his rookie season, but the main factor is obviously Murphy's defense, particularly his 80 grade arm. And what I haven't really heard anyone talking about is whether it might be that sort of the rule changes specifically, you know, limiting throwovers and therefore incentivizing stolen bases has Mm. sort of like fueled this particular trade. Like Anthopolis is so smart that I would bet that he thought, you know what, getting a defensive catcher to help control the running game is going to be a huge priority this offseason, but we're not going to even like say anything about it because we don't want the other teams realizing what a possible competitive advantage this is going to be. So Murphy caught 31% of batters stealing last year, which isn't like, you know, the 44% of JT Real Muto, no big deal or anything, but it is an improvement uh, over Travis Darno at 25% and Contreras's uh, 27% mark in 2021. He had no stolen base attempts on him this year in 60 games at catcher. So that's what I think was going on. Uh, but it is nevertheless uh, definitely a sort of an interesting trade. I, I feel like I don't, I don't know whether actually Oakland ends up sort of coming ahead for this one or i mean you know we'll see whether or not it ends up being a real factor for atlanta that's a really interesting thought like whenever people talk about like the future of catcher defense the next few years they always bring up the automated strike zone that we're due for one of these years and everyone says that catcher defense is going to be minimized because of that and i haven't really i haven't heard anybody bring that up so that's a that's a really good point something i hadn't thought of and I wonder, uh, I, you know, I, I wonder, I don't think that, well, I mean, maybe this is something that the, the very smart people over at Fangraphs and Baseball Reference are already thinking of, but I don't think that the current structure of catcher defense in like war is going to like properly value like the next year or two of catcher defense. So I, I'm, oh God, that's just sent me down a, a, a train of thought that I wasn't expecting. This, this is going to be a future like, discussion on the podcast at some point well who knows if sort of eventually pitchers are able to adapt a little bit more but i think you know right now when we're sort of like in the liminal space of these rule changes i think it could be really huge yeah alex anthopoulos is is fantastic at the uh the 5d chess of roster construction I, i wouldn't be surprised if he was ahead of the curve on that yeah what what are your feelings about the trade jordan I mean, besides like hooray, right? I'm just, I'm still just gobsmacked by the return that the Brewers got considering what they gave up. I mean, what it comes down to is that the A's, I mean, it feels so bad for their fan base, but like, it feels like they're giving so much away for Asturi Ruiz, who is to me just fine. 
And like it solves a very like clear issue for the Brewers, which was catcher. Like Omar Narvaez took a huge, huge, huge step down uh, offensively. Like he's become, become a much better defensive catcher, but the bat since he came over from Seattle has just been on a downward trend for the past two, three years now. Um, so I think that from an offensive perspective, uh, Contreras' bat is going to play play up much more than his does. I just really don't get how they didn't lose more the Brewers in this trade. It, it still, I, I, yeah. I, I don't get it at all. Um, but then again, uh, A's are going to A. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess their attitude. <laughs> ah, huh. I, yeah, we I, breaking on in the deep. The A's are considering Las Vegas and Winnipeg. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that it's. Yeah, it's it's super interesting. Obviously, the A's like they had already gotten Shea Langoliers from Atlanta the previous offseason. So they're just sort of like Sean Murphy is extra. So like, let's see what we can get from him for him. And that it seems like a lot of their attitude in trades has been precisely what many fantasy players would want to avoid, which is quantity uh over quality necess- necessarily so like let's just get a bunch of guys and like you know hopefully one of them will work out um in terms of in terms of the fantasy impact obviously as i know that this is a fantasy podcast you know i think that it's it's also stock up for <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> look you're you're like exactly where my heart lives which is like let's just talk about baseball sometimes it'll be Please. fantasy sometimes it won't um but yeah i mean i think that it's sort of stock up for Contreras because he'll probably, he's got more assured playing time rather than, you know, is he going to, how often is he going to DH? Is he going to be in the catcher scrum at all? And, you know, I think that for Murphy, he, he gains some by getting to play in a better lineup and a better home park, but he also probably won't play quite as many games as he did. He played so many Mm. games last year. Um, and yeah, in terms of Estuary Ruiz, you know, he's just really bounced all around and he's been in so many different farm systems. And you do hear adages about prospects that are traded a lot, not necessarily panning out. And, you know, in some ways, like you could see the perspective of like, well, right, but he's very valuable as a as a trade ship. But it's like, yeah, didn't any of these teams decide, oh, no, like we're absolutely not going to trade our estuary Ruiz. Everybody's like, oh yeah, yeah, you want him? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you gotta give up something to get something. Um, but you know, certainly I think we might get to see who he is at the major league level next year, given that he is now playing for the A's and right. it's gonna like slot right into their lineup. And maybe he'll hit leadoff and he stole 85 bases this year in the minors. Yeah. Like 85. It's insane. It's it's old timey numbers and he's good at making contact and he doesn't strike out a ton he does not have a ton of power but he could be useful for somebody in the deep um if if they're sort of like insane yeah and i mean everybody's gonna steal more bases next year probably but if you're sort of taking the attitude that you're like i don't want to pay up for stolen bases and I just want to try to get them late. Estuary Ruiz could be your guy. I don't um, know what his ADP is right now. I actually want to look that up really quick too. But it's a uh, 343. 
340. Oh, I yeah, think that's, I would that's have value. guessed it was later, but still, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what are the odds that we have someone like him that steals, let's, I'll, I'll be conservative, 50, 50 or more bases at, in the at coming At the end year. of the day, if Bubba Thompson can be fantasy relevant for a stretch, then Ruiz can. Yeah. That's not wrong. Yeah. I totally forgot about Bubba Thompson. Like, wow. Ju- just from uh, uh, ju- to to briefly touch on what is uh, ostensibly the topic of the podcast, and that is deep leagues. Uh, uh, Ruiz is obviously a- an important uh, uh, piece this year, probably for for teams in need of speed in the late rounds. What about Kyle Muller for for deep league pitching staffs? Yeah, well, I mean, he's probably going to just slot into the A's rotation, and they'll sort of see what they got. And it's obviously a better park for him to pitch in from a from a fantasy perspective. And he has only 49 innings in the majors, and they have not been super inspiring. But the thing that jumps out to me as a huge problem is he has a 13% walk rate, but it's been much better in the minors. So it was 7.4% in 23 starts in AAA this year. And to me, control is the kind of thing that should be a stickier skill in a good way i don't know do people say that the sticky skill it should translate better than it has and his overall swinging strike rate has been okay 12.4 percent like you wouldn't kick that out of bed but he doesn't have a definitive out pitch and i was reading what keith law said about him and he seems to think that it's command more than more than a control issue because he mm. also tends to leave his fastball in the middle of the plate but he thinks if he could elevate it more he could have an out pitch in his fastball and that sounds like something that nicholas patrick pollock would also agree with hypothetically nicholas patrick we have the new name for the episode yes hooray i'm uh, it's i can't believe i didn't think of patrick last time because patrick is one of my favorite names overall, and I don't even remember what name I thought of, but it wasn't Patrick. It was strong somewhere. Irish name. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you if it's spelled like in the in the Irish way, P A D R A I C Patrick. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I also saw, as long as we're talking about Keith Law, um, that he thinks that the best prospect in the trade is actually Freddie Tarnock who is a year younger than mm. Muller at 24 and could see a chance with the A's this year, but probably is not up immediately. I mean, that's my guess. That's not Law's prognostication. Um, but he says that he has a plus changeup and an average curveball and a slider, but he struggles to throw strikes with anything but the fastball. So it's definitely about having the stuff, but needing to hone command and control. And he had a 10% walk rate at AA and 9.1% at triple a this year so not not great not great for either of them in that particular regard yeah the uh three third fourth and fifth projected starter for the oakland a's right now have a combined what is this 60 innings uh in the majors last year so really uh anything could happen with those three four and five spots coming into 2023 oh my god it's gonna be 2023 that's true oh man so close so so could be could be the Oakland A's are one of those teams that just they always seem to turn out some kind of interesting like glue guy for your pitching staff. There's always some interesting like three five or three seven ERA guy that winds up being like somewhat useful. And I'm you know, I'm sure they're gonna keep on doing that. I'm stuck on the the 
Quebec A's now. That's going to be in my head forever. I, I I want them to relocate now and be the Quebec A's. Give us back the Montreal Expos. Montreal A's works too, yeah. A, Montreal A's. Well, the A thing expose. is with... I, well, I mean, actually, I was going to say in French, it's A, right? So are they... Mm, yeah. Are they... That's like the their hesitation Are they the sound? Quebec A's instead of Quebec. A's? <laughs> Athletiques? I don't know. It's been a while <laughs> since I took French, but I remember the alphabet. You quite literally used a French word in our DMs leading up to this episode. I don't, uh, was, I don't remember. Oh, parfait. Parfait. <laughs> parfait. Uh, uh. But yes. Uh, so let's go over to some players that have not yet signed anywhere, and then we'll get to the Phillies talk because I know that is going to be the most exciting part of the episode for you. But uh, It's all exciting. Aw, uh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> Atlanta doing baffling things is very exciting for me. That is true. Yay, it's give up your prospects for a questionable game, please. <laughs> I'm, I'm in a group Honestly, chat with uh, with a lot of uh, Atlanta Braves fans. I'm sorry. And they were kind of, they were kind of, <laughs> they were, they were, they were we a little doom and gloom about the trade. And I had to be like, look, guys, I love when you're upset, but like Sean Murphy's really good. And, uh, the reason that they're upset say. is because their prospects always work out. Right. I mean, not always, but I mean, maybe eventually. Do you know what I mean? It, might, it like, might be like a recency bias thing, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, also, I will say Schwabzi and I are in a, a dynasty league together uh, and it's the both of us. And I'd say what, like 10 other Atlanta Braves fans. Oh, maybe, maybe like seven. Uh, there's a there's a couple of there's a Reds fan. There's a Reds fan and Cubs fan. And then I think the yeah. rest are like Atlanta fans. Uh, and I just. The, the biggest chef's kiss uh, after that trade happened, just seeing the, the group <laughs> chat just unravel on a molecular level, just so angry. So, 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 so angry. And I was just None the embodiment. I was just the embodiment of that Elmo gif in front of the fire. Just, I was, yes, <laughs> let it burn. I, I, was, I was the sickos meme. <laughs> yes. I, I, I was the sickos meme. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, oh, fantastic. But, yeah, so let's roll along to some folks that have not signed. Obviously, this is a deep league podcast. These people will not be deep league relevant. Uh, but but we also like just talking about baseball. We do. We're friends who just they... like talking about baseball. Yeah, that's what the offseason's for, honestly. Uh, okay, do you have, and it cannot be the Phillies, obviously, but do you have like an ideal landing spot for Carlos Rodon or Carlos Correa? Oh, I mean, I've, ideal is maybe a different question than where I think that they're going to go. <laughs> where do you think that here? Okay. Where do you think they're going to end up? And where do you think they would see the most success if they signed there? That's a fun way to phrase this. Great. Yeah. So, I mean, for Rodon, there's been so much smoke around the Yankees offering Rodon a contract that I, th mm -hmm. I think there's fire there. And I think they end up adding him because otherwise... They're the Yankees, and they haven't really improved from last season. They've just sort of not actively gotten worse by, you know, letting a franchise star go somewhere else. I mean, I feel like it's hard to imagine a better outcome for him than going back to the Giants, although I don't think that that's particularly likely, um, given that they just got Sean Manaya. And so I sort of think that that probably takes them out of it for Rodon. But yeah, I guess those I guess those are going to be my answers. Um just in terms of like 
obviously that's where he saw so much more success and like it's a great park for pitchers. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not necessarily the the. I don't even know that there's an answer for me about like where does my heart want Rodon to go because like I know he's not going to go to the Phillies. <laughs> Yeah. The, you don't the even Giants have to take actually, that proviso off the table. The Giants <laughs> just lowered their odds even further by acquiring Ross Stripling today for a two-year, $25 million contract in their bid to sign every player that Jordan really likes more than the, the rest of the world. I, I am Farhan Zaidi. I had missed that important piece of news. So yeah, that's absolutely not going to happen. Um, it's I, I really think it's going to be the Yankees. I feel like this offseason has been... I mean... With the exception, of course, of like Arson Judge um, going to the Giants. <laughs> I think that this offseason has actually been pretty good for there being like a strong rumor and then that rumor kind of bearing out. You know, I'm, I'm actually glad you said the Yankees because, you know, historically, as a Met fan, being and being originally from New York, I, there was a lot of little brother syndrome there. And when you said that the Yankees might sign Rodon in the past, I'd have been like, of course. Yeah. Of course the Yankees are going to get Rodon. And now I'm like, that's cute. That's nice. You guys go get Rodon. <laughs> There's been growth here. Thank And that's all, that's all. Thanks. Thanks to Steve Cohen. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, for sure. You can definitely, you can have a lot more perspective when your team is running a like $305 million payroll. <laughs> How does it feel? Shwebzy? As a, as a Brewers fan, just like from, it's from nice. it's how like, does that like, feel to have a billionaire sorry, that just throws around money all willy nilly? He's paying like, like seventy four million in tax this year, I think. It's like with like with that. the money with the money that the Mets have thrown around this off season and the money that the Phillies have thrown around this off season. It's like we're, Ellen and I are the uh, the two fierce looking dragons in in that meme, and you are you are the goofy looking one, the derpy one. Yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. That does make a lot of sense. But you're a a. A, a very attractive dragon that just got William Contreras, and so you can feel good about that. That's just and like a very savvy dragon. Yes, indeed, you're, you're a very, very savvy dragon. That, we're, we are the ones hoarding gold. You're, you're fortunate that flattery plays well on this podcast, Ellen. <laughs> I appreciate we, that. We we are we are like Smaug. <laughs> you are you are a trickster. Well, the very first thing that I said to you uh, was like, hello, you, you know, beautiful, attractive people. And then uh, you couldn't hear me because we had technical difficulties. Uh, so, yeah, it was the a, world keeping my ego in check. <laughs> Universe I, mean, I didn't do a very good job of keeping your ego in check in this particular regard. Yeah, if you do it too much, we'll become far too powerful. Nick already thinks we're unwieldy enough as it is. <laughs> like he literally said when he was on the podcast, this feels very much like w- when the cats are away, the mice will play. <laughs> sort of podcast, which is incredibly apt and very fitting. Oh, Miscalculation on, on our part, having him as a guest. So now he knows what the vibe is here. <laughs> and the vibes are off. He has actually asked Adam how to like keep a closer eye on us when we release our episodes. So... <laughs> Well, I am feeling very responsible to try to lend as much of the mice at play shenanigans and nonsense and uh, completely useless verbiage to this podcast as possible. So, thank you for giving us the excuse to just clown the entire. I'm on board. Appreciate it. I'm on (laughs) board. All right, now moment that I'm sure you've been waiting for. Oh wait, did I answer all of your questions? I think I just oh, wait, talked no, we about didn't Rodon. talk about Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about Korea. I guess well, sure, we'll talk about Korea too. I suppose. Yeah. I mean th- 
I do, because we were just talking about the Giants. It feels like the Giants should get him since they were in on Aaron Judge. And mm. I feel like there's, they're still trying to sign the guy that they can put on the little banners outside of the stadium. Um, mm, now yes. that basically like everybody from their championships besides Brandon Crawford is gone. And like, is Brandon Crawford really here? Um, I, I know that they also got Hanniger and like, I'm, I'm happy for everyone involved, but I think they've been in the market for someone else, but my heart does want it to be the Cubs because I have so many friends who are Cubs fans and they are, they are very sad because of the Wilson Contreras situation. And so I want them to be made happier, uh, ideally in time for the holidays. It's been very considerate, actually, of so many MLB teams to like get their off-season shopping done in time for the holidays. Uh, but I, I also think that it actually maybe even makes more sense for the Cubs, who you could say are coming out of a rebuild, whereas the Giants, I'm honestly a little confused as to like the direction of the franchise or the sort of spending profile of Zaidi. Like, I mean, obviously they had a great season in 2021, but I think mm -hmm. pretty much everybody was like, yeah, that's because we got basically the best possible outcome from everybody on the team. And yes. many of those players are not e going to even be on the 2023 team. So, um, yeah, those are, those are my answers for Correa. I take a little bit of offense to you saying the Cubs. One, obviously Brewers fan. Two, because I wonder what that means for Nico Horner. Because I'm a big Nico Horner fan, and I think mm -hmm. that he could be like a 2020 bat, potentially, at some point in time. I think it's more likely that Madrigal is the odd man out there compared, mm -hmm. to, uh, compared to Horner. Oh, yeah, they, shift, they probably shift Horner over to second base. Yeah, that makes more sense. Okay. I'm not that you know, I'm not that upset by it. I do like those zone contact guys, but just as like a baseball fan. <laughs> yes, not as a fantasy baseball fan. Not they are not that exciting fan. at all. But I mean, like last year Horner had I mean, that's another person that's like a late round pick that you can probably get. Um, I assume. I don't even know what Horner's ADP is right now. Uh no idea. he had twenty stolen bases last year. He's like ninety-fifth plus percentile in speed sprint speed. Uh can burn on the base pads. You're not going to believe this. What would you guess that his ADP is? Are we both is supposed is to it, guess? I haven't like looked at any ADP information. Either, I mean, same, basically. Uh, <laughs> gosh. Uh, it's probably, when, the way that you said it, I feel like it's going to be way better than you thought. Or way better than I thought. So I figure it's going to be like, oh, like Ellen, Jordan is spectacularly good at guessing things. Like, just in general. I'm very excited for this. I'm going to say like, my neighbors are yelling, sorry, uh, 214. Ooh, I was so, going to guess, can I just make a guess? I just want to yeah. make a, like 262. All right. He is 148. Oh, ouch. Way what? more off than Jordan usually is. Yeah, he's being drafted at 148, I, which is wild. Did I not know that like the community was very high on Nico Horner coming into this year? I mean, maybe it's a batting average thing. Dragging well, his, that, uh, I think it's value I up. think it's that plus the new the new base the new like bigger bases. I'm I'm as surprised as you guys are. Weird. He's a um, he's a, a three spots after William Contreras. Oh, that I mean, yeah, that just feels like that's not a price I'm going to pay. <laughs> it's weird because he's a shortstop and that position yeah. is so deep. Yeah. Curious. Although 
Although, you know, if if the Cubs sign any shortstop, let's say that they also sign Dansby Swanson and Horner moves mm. over to second. I don't know if he's eligible at second, but like anybody who's extra eligible at second is going to be helpful to everyone. That Very that true. would help his value out greatly. Yeah, maybe that's the anticipation is that they're going to sign a shortstop and he'll have that dual or that uh, second position eligibility moving into, I don't know, like what is it? Most platforms, it's like 10 games, 20 games. Yeah, that's that's 5D chess is drafting Nico yeah. Horner in the what? 12th round anticipating second base eligibility in, t- in three couldn't weeks. be me i'm a cartoon yeah. character i am simply two-dimensional <laughs> flat stanley type drafter you know what i mean um <laughs> i feel so seen <laughs> you feel so seen was it the flat stanley reference yeah no just just like that's the kind of drafter i am i feel like <laughs> definitely not but like well what if they sign dansby swanson because he just got married to a woman who plays soccer for the chicago team so certainly he's gonna sign for the cubs and then i'll draft nico horner and he'll move over to second this is not the kind of thoughts that i tend to have i like genuinely wonder if like this this was like a a very very tiny like non-important conspiracy theory that i had is if he wait, was waiting to like actually go into like serious contract negotiations in any capacity until after his wedding mm. i mean i almost wonder if that was like a consideration i mean having recently gotten married yeah. and knowing like what goes into the planning i would i would absolutely buy that Having not recently gotten married, but also knowing what's going into the planning, yeah, I would, I would buy that as well. Although he probably had enough money to hire a wedding planner, which was not something yep. that I did. <laughs> and that, that's what the agent's for anyway. So, you know, that, that stuff could have been going on without him even, you know, having too much input. I love it, though. I think that this is very important. The A's are moving to Quebec, and the reason that Dansby Swanson hasn't signed yet is because he told his agent not to let him sign until after he was done filling out, like, stuffing all of the little almonds into the bags by himself and, like, you know, lettering the place holder things himself. Yeah, clearly this is what was happening. I can't talk AAV because I'm making centerpieces. Yeah, exactly. oh god i love it that's the kind of hard-hitting journalism you come to in the deep for speculative journalism the most important kind you guys are killing it absolutely i would would hate to say something that was actually sourced (laughs) (laughs) i'm really sorry i mentioned keith law earlier bad form bad form (laughs) it's all right uh okay and then i'm trying to think wait what were we going to talk about after that oh phillies Let's talk about Phillies. You just like completely forgot about it. It's okay. Yeah, I did. Okay. No, no it's fine. Uh, so uh, let's talk about like the biggest thing first, and then we'll work down the list to the more deep league stuff. Trey Turner. I know oh you've had God, opportunities nice. to gush about this already, but feel free to just tell us how you feel. I have, but I'm just so glad that I've got at least 11 years to talk about Trey Turner um, because I've been... Trey Turner has been one of my favorite players for a very long time. And I like, I can't, I can't believe I know that now here we are, Schwebzy and I are sitting around, you know, with our, with our owners who are just like lounging on their bags that have the dollar signs on the side of them. And we're just living the good life. But like, uh, it wasn't always this way 
for Phillies fans, you know, like I, I feel like Bryce Harper coming to the Phillies, not the first big free agent signing of my life. I mean, the Cliff Lee, I can still see it if I just look straight through the hallway to the New York Daily News cover um, of the day that Cliff Lee chose the Phillies over the Yankees because it was that and uh, that much of an important day in my life. But yeah, it's still really beautiful that Trey Turner left some money on the table to come play for the Phillies. And, uh, you know, I have had other opportunities to gush about Trey Turner and why I think he's such a good fit for the Phillies in particular. I think that they really need a leadoff hitter. Uh, there is a little bit of sort of uh, controversy about whether or not it will be Trey Turner. Obviously, it should be Trey Turner or whether or not it will be Kyle Schwarber. Um, but Trey Turner did talk in his press conference about the fact that, you know, he and Schwarber are friends from the times that they that they played on the Nationals together. And, you know, they've talked on the phone about it. And so that it's all very uh, collegial, this particular uh, the, the player's attitude around this question, which I think is obviously good. Uh, but, you know, Trey Turner should wreak havoc on the base paths in 2023. This is what I want to see um, with the with the bigger bases and, and the pickoffs being limited and so on. You know, I want to see him really strike heart, uh, strike, strike fear into the hearts of the opposing pitchers. And He's, you know, he's just such a, a well-rounded player. And I also appreciate that in his pref- press conference, he talked about seeing how much fun the Phillies players were having with each other uh, in the postseason and also how incredibly involved and loud the fans were. And, you know, those are the kinds of factors that, it makes you feel really good about players wanting to come and play for your team because they feel like there are good vibes there, whether those are clubhouse good vibes or whether those are fan base good vibes. It just, um, yeah, it warms my little heart. My brain can't comprehend a 40-year-old Trey Turner. I feel like he's just still going to look like, right. you know, Is Tom he still Holland look and like Spider-Man. A child? Yeah, yeah. He is. That's fine. I'm fine with it. Yeah. Benjamin Button baseball player. Yeah. Mike Petriello did a really excellent piece about how he sort of anticipates his speed might age. And I mean, I suppose I can call it excellent. I mean, number one, I love everything that Mike Petriello does, but uh, and I'm yes. really sorry to mention something else that was sourced. It was just, this was off the top of my head. I wasn't planning to say this, but basically he was like, Trey Turner's speed is still so elite. Like at, at age 29, it really has not decreased at all. Still 99th percentile sprint speed. And so though it is going to go down by the time he is 40, for sure, it's so elite that he's probably still going to be an athletic player. He's not going to transform suddenly, you know, on his 38th right. birthday into a lumbering DH type. He's still probably going to have above average speed and agility, which was a nice way to think about it. And I mean, I don't know, also makes sense. I feel like there's obviously, there's been a lot of back and forth between people being like, this is stupid because speed guys don't age very well. And other people being like, well, yeah, but if the speed is this good, then it just means he's going to continue to be athletic, which was sort of, I mean, I don't know. Obviously, I'm such a, a Trey Turner stan that that was the position that I was going to take myself. 
I mean, there's always outliers like Kenny, Kenny Lofton did it forever. And mm-hmm. he was a center fielder with, you know, which is, a, you know, the, the position where you get beat up uh, the most if you, you know, if you're Byron Buxton. <laughs> I just, just I, hypothetically. Sorry, I'm sorry sorry for sorry for the stray to to Byron Buxton fans out there. And anybody who's ever drafted him, which includes myself. Josh Berry's seething right now. (laughs) (laughs) Josh Berry punching air as we speak. Uh, As long as it's not a coffee table or a wall or a locker or anything that major league pitchers tend to punch. So (laughs) last week, I I didn't mention this at the start. uh, Well, yeah, last week I did an episode of Triple Play with uh, the the Mendelsons and some, some other guests. And... Uh, someone mentioned that they drafted Byron Buxton for the first time just now, and I'm like, "Oh, you sweet summer child, you haven't you haven't experienced it yet." Oh, you you poor man. I have never drafted Byron Buxton. I've, I've never, I don't have a share of Byron Buxton either. I've in never, my life, I've never I've never done it. I don't know. I'm too risk averse. There's like so, so much gambling in my overall life and profession. I like not actual gambling. I just mean like, when will I ever have a job again? Who knows that it's like, I'm incredibly risk averse in basically any other day. Roll those dice, baby. Yes. Yeah, completely. I mean, I do think also for just for, and this is obviously not a deeply consideration, but uh, like two cents of fantasy analysis on Trey Turner is that he obviously was running less with the Dodgers, but I think that that has more to do with number one, where he often was hitting in the lineup, i.e. not lead off. And like, hopefully he's lead off for the Phillies cross fingers. And number two, like the Dodgers are so good. They don't need people to steal bases. Whereas the Phillies mm-hmm. are like, you know, right there where they're like, yeah, like steal a base. I think they were fifth in the majors in stolen bases last year. Um, so my, my hot Trey Turner take and, uh, you know, get sticking with a Trey little Turner bit of fantasy relevance hot. here. Hey. Uh, we did a, we did a pitcher list mock draft earlier this off season and I had the first overall pick and I picked, uh, Jose Ramirez first overall citing that there was uncertainty with Trey Turner's situation with what team he was going to wind up with. And, you know, had that mock draft happened now and I knew the environment and the lineup and the ballpark that he was in now, I would have gone with Trey Turner over Jose Ramirez. I don't think Jose Ramirez is a bad pick there at all, even knowing what you know, just because of, you know, the relative scarcity of excellent third base people versus Mm -hmm. shortstops. And, you know, and you're going to be more likely to be able to get some kind of speed from whomever you draft for shortstop, whereas like Jose Ramirez is one of the only people who's going to be able to do that for you at third base. So I'm here to defend your pick. I don't think it was a bad pick, but like I, I had like I had a clear reason for going Ramirez over Trey, and now that reason is gone. Well, I just give you a new reason, so Yeah, I think I think they're both like bastions of consistency at this point. So I don't mm-hmm. I really don't think you can go wrong there. Though like I'm valuing consistency this off season, this this draft season. So I, I probably I like I would probably go those guys like one and two. In, in some order or another in, in, in most drafts. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds fair to me. I also, I also am value consistency and 
and I don't like a lot of injury risk or like question marks, especially in the early rounds. For sure. Yeah. I'm probably, I, Tre- Trebsy, I actually think, think, I think that you were right for taking, even knowing what we know now, I think it was correct to take Jose Ramirez, mostly because of the reason that Ella noted the fact that third base is just so much more shallow in comparison. I do think that's right. Um, uh, something that I do want to talk about, though, in regard to Trey Turner is how do you think that his arrival affects Bryson Stott's fantasy value? Well, I feel like the main thing is sort of, uh, what we alluded to earlier with our Nico Horner galaxy brain discovery, um, mm. which is that it is for sure that Bryson Stott will move over to second, um, which will just make him more relevant because, you know, there's like a bunch of, there's like Jose Altuve and a bunch of tumbleweeds at second. Um, no offense to all the other second basemen. Jazz Chisholm slander. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> obviously I love Jazz Chisholm. <laughs> Oh, but so injured so often to be so young. Anyway, um, here's the thing. I I don't think that the full season stat line tells the story for Stott, for anybody who's kind of like tiptoeing through uh, last year's stat lines, because his full season line is going to always show him digging himself out of the incredible hole that he was in in the very irregular playing time that he had under Joe Girardi at the beginning of the season. So, Mm. I mean, that's my theory is like, that's why we saw the transformation with the team under Thompson, because he let the kids play like that's the campaign after all. Right. And so, you know, all of the, all of the players that the Phillies team affectionately refers to as the daycare players were now no longer like looking over their shoulder, concerned about, you know, if I, if I'm not good, in this at bat, I'm going to lose playing time. And they yeah. just relaxed immediately. And, you know, Stott in particular just blossomed. Uh, so under Thompson, he slashed 254, 316, 400. He had an 8% walk rate, 16% strikeout rate. He hit 10 homers and had 11 steals from June 2nd. So we're not talking about somebody taking over the world, uh, but certainly I think. It's it's a more promising stat line than you would see for the whole season. So particularly like digging into the numbers just a little bit, his BABIPs were higher in the minors and was pretty low last year. And he he's fast enough. He has a 91% percentile sprint speed that I think the probably the higher BABIPs are more reflective of who he is. And in the minors, uh, he, at AAA, he hit 300 one year and 333 another year. So if he's not that, he's like he's a 260 hitter. He's not a 230 hitter like his sort of season line reads. And I mean, another thing that I can say that you're not going to get from looking at fan graphs is that he's just got such a slow heartbeat. So one of the best moments of the regular season was when he hit a three-run walk-off. This is the weekend right after Girardi was fired in the series versus the Angels. And so he just, the big moments are not too big for him. And in the postseason, he just looked so calm. He just looked like he'd been there a million times. And the very first Phillies postseason game that I ever went to in my life was versus Atlanta. And he had this astonishing at-bat versus Spencer Strider where he fouled off like five pitches before lacing this RBI double. 
And, you know, he had a great, uh, I don't know, it was like 11 pitch at bat versus Verlander. And, you know, where it just looked like, why is he the only person doing this right now? Um, so I think that he's not he's not maybe like a superstar either for real life baseball or for fantasy baseball but i think he's a great deeper league play especially if you're looking for a second baseman love it yeah we have a lot of time to see where his adp roams to obviously uh he's at 218 Mm. right now which is actually not I thought he would be further back than that. I sort of thought he might be further um, back than maybe everybody knows that he is more of a 260 hitter and not a 234 guy. <laughs> yes. But I mean, well, I mean, I didn't, to be fair, because I didn't watch him that closely. I haven't had time to look into his uh, into his profile. And I think it's a really good thing to point out the difference between uh, the new regime with with Thompson as opposed to with Girardi. Uh, and like you said, just kind of that general. I mean, you could see that just in the media in terms of like what was covered with the Phillies. It felt like the vibes were just relaxed and just nice once he took over. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think that's a conducive environment for better performance in general. So. Yeah. I think particularly in this day and age where it's like so many of the little decisions that we're yelling at our managers for from the couch were actually potentially just made by the front office or made by somebody else. And so like the main thing that a manager actually probably does for sure is manage personalities and, you know, just give good St. Crispin's day speeches. And I think it's just clear that, that, you know, Rob Thompson is, is good at that. He's, he's good at, at making everybody happy and sort of reading what different guys need and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I think that, I was skeptical before this year as to what it, what a difference a manager could actually make, and now I'm converted. <laughs> but I think I love- it's all, I think it's all soft factors are the you know are the difference that a manager makes is really you know like who who knows how to make everybody happy. No roster decisions, just vibes. Just vibes. It's all vibes. vibes. Yeah, and I also love that you managed to work another Kenneth Branagh. Uh, reference into the podcast after we talked about it last time too it's all coming full circle i love i didn't remember that i talked about it last time but it is my favorite movie of all time so i'm not surprised to be fair i think i brought it up because i was a creep online and found all this fun info about you that i poked you with but yes it's not a creep if i put it out there you know i suppose i suppose sleuthing i guess is the better word but indeed uh so something that you and trubs you can kind of chat about here is the phillies also signed taiwan walker uh, current ADP is 319, which is pretty much like deep league type yeah. uh, eligibility, I would say, for us to talk about. Uh, what are your feelings on Taiwan Walker, uh, both Shrubsy and Ellen, on this? Uh, we'll start with you, Ellen. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it's funny because on the afternoon of the Trey Turner signing, I was talking to a friend and I was like, now the Phillies just need to sign a Taiwan Walker type of a guy. Um, hmm. And so I felt like, is Dave Dombrowski listening to me? <laughs> You're like, bugged. Is, is my phone bugged? Um, and then they signed Matt Strom. And I was like, oh, no, no, it's not. It's just a coincidence. <laughs> um, and uh, so, I mean, the Phillies weren't going to sign somebody else with a qualifying offer attached, having signed Turner. So I, I just knew that. So I never would have guessed that the Phillies 
um, would have, for example, gotten Carlos Rodon. Um, but I, I feel fine about this choice. Like the deal is absolutely insane, but like that's the market and he's a million more per year than Jamison Tyone. And I feel fine about that. Uh, interestingly, I was talking with Keith Olbermann and he pointed out that Walker implodes in either late July or early August of every season. Um, and I mean, he had just like shared a couple of uh, BREF pages from the last couple of years since he's come back from Tommy John, but it's also reflected in his career splits. And I was like, that's crazy and weird, hmm. you know, like being bad in April or September, both of those things make sense to me somehow, but just like late July or early August, I don't know. And then like being fine again in September, I don't understand it, but it's a thing. So I'm like, great, now I'll just be prepared. Um, but what I'm hopeful for are a couple of things. And first of all, that it has been a couple of years and he can really sort of be back from Tommy John surgery now, I hope, you know, like it usually yeah. takes a while. Verlander is the outlier in all things. Um, but Walker has never done more than 170 innings in a year. And I mean, if that's what the Phillies get out of him, like I, th they'll be fine. I mean, I hope they'll be fine. I feel like that's normal in this day and age. Um, but I'm hopeful that it's at least that and not less than that. But that's something to think about. Uh, if you are a person listening to this, not for how I feel about Taiwan Walker on the Phillies, but thinking about rostering Taiwan Walker in your fantasy league, if you're looking at him in a deep league context, like he deals with small injuries every year in addition to dealing with large ones. And, you know, Walker had a good season last year and it was, uh, you know, borne up by his peripheral numbers, but this was largely on the back of throwing his splitter a career high amount, which was 27% of the time. And that's cool, obviously, but it's such a volatile pitch. And so my other hope is that Caleb Cotham, this is the Phillies pitching coach, might be able to get a little bit more out of his cutter and his curveball, which he used only five and nine percent last year, respectively. And the reason that I am citing those pitches over his slider, um, which he uses more often, is because a number of pitchers on the Phillies, most notably Jose Alvarado, who was like completely transformed by usage of the cutter, uh, but also Aaron Nola and Ranger Suarez and Zach Eflin all saw improvements in their cutters or their cutter usage or like the existence of a cutter at all under Cotham. And uh, Bailey Falter when he had that sort of good run in the middle of the season last year, that was due to improvements and greater usage of his curveball. And, you know, Zach Wheeler has actually talked about how he feels like he's become a better pitcher on the Phillies, which was a laughable notion in the years when every single good reliever came to the Phillies just to, like to have a nine ERA. Um, so this isn't a reason to draft Walker, but it is something that I'm hopeful for and kind of looking for in, in a best of all possible outcomes kind of a way that he might be able to get more strikeouts if he can improve those two pitches. Let me just say that you are going to adore Taiwan Walker. He is a, an immaculate vibes guy. And really, like his, you know, July second half struggles, whatever you want to call it, it was one start. He had like a 279 ERA leading up to July 31st. And then on July 31st, he got absolutely annihilated by the Braves, which 
colored my view of his season. I thought he had a much worse second half than he did. It was really just this one brutal start against the division rival where he gave up eight runs in one inning. Mm, and then that I remember from, like that's the kind I, of start uh, that you just remember. <laughs> brutal. Yeah, I, I, yeah it, it really it colored my whole view of his season. I still had it in my head that he had a really bad second half. From that point forward, from uh, the start of August, uh, sorry, uh, August 10th, he had a 3.57 ERA. He was totally fine. It was really, he had one miserable start that, that kind of, it was a, a particularly unfortunate miserable start, but he was good for pretty much the whole year. Uh, and, you know, uh, super, super LGBTQ friendly. He had a, uh, he had a taco stand at City Field. He's a, just a, a, a great guy. Cromulent pitcher. I, I maybe a tick above Cromulent. Cromulent. <laughs> we've, reached, we've reached the quota for the episode, folks. We did it. We we should get like the soundbite of the uh Pee Wee's Funhouse clip going ah, ah, every time I say the word. Oh, like yeah. It's Secret it's word. the it's the word of the day every day. But yeah, uh Walker's so Walker's good. He's fant I, I, I think him and Ranger Suarez should probably have like similar outlooks. Maybe Ranger's a little less prone to the the absolute blow up because he's not reliant on a splitter like Taiwan is. But uh, yeah, there I, I think both of them are going to be you know fantastic rotation stabilizers, I, and I I do think that he's going to be basically what he has been the last couple of years. Uh, hopefully, with without what he did in 2021, which was a true second half blow up, he he was pretty rough. Uh, but again, that that was you know a, a the deepest he had gone in a season since his surgery so mm -hmm. uh, you know mm -hmm. you got to give him some leeway there yeah no i've always been a huge fan of taiwan walker the human being which is i think part of the reason why he was the first person to spring to mind for me about like we just need one of these guys but like yeah no i'm very excited uh that he's on the team as a as a person and i'm also excited that he's on the team as a pitcher uh, but i would say my opinion of of him as a vibes guy is even higher than him as a pitcher really really uh brutal swing for for the Mets to lose Taiwan and gain Brooks Raley just a brutal swing in butt there <laughs> yeah yeah uh, I'm sorry Schwebs yeah. <laughs> very sorry about that uh okay so the last signing that we want to talk about is one that he brought up Matt Strom mm. ADP is 713 like this is getting to the point where it's like too deep for us as well do you have any feelings on Matt Strom we can skim right over this if you want to I mean, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of feelings. I was excited about Strom when he was a, a prospect. And mm -hmm. so like, it's, it's not, it's not zero feelings at all. And I know that his velocity was playing up out of the bullpen, which, which has made his fastball more effective. And that as a relief pitcher, like he's atypical in having five pitches. And so maybe the Phillies can tweak that mix or maybe it just allows him to be completely unpredictable in short stretches. And so I'm excited for him to be on the team. I don't know that he's the guy that I was like, oh yeah, the Phillies need to go out and get Matt Strom in order to just really solidify their bullpen. Um, I don't hate it. That's my review. <laughs> I mean, as the second lefty out of the pen, he's, you know, he's fine. I, I, why did I think that there were, three but maybe are, there are, are, are there more two. i'm not i know alvarado I mean, alvarado and oh gosh christopher sanchez question mark i mean christopher sanchez like sort of like 
might be vying for the fifth spot. Like he's sort of a long man type a little bit more. I mean, maybe I'm just thinking of Broadhand, who is now no longer on the Phillies. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah. He's fine. He's a middle reliever. It's fantasy. We don't care. I feel like I'm forgetting somebody and I feel really sorry. I'm sorry, guys. No, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at their depth chart right now. I don't okay. see any other right. lefties in the mix. Great. Okay. It was, I guess it was just the ghost of Brad Hand. Uh, at times, Suarez and Falter have been relievers, but uh, they should be True, but I don't rotation. think of them that way, yeah. Also, I apologize if you can hear in the background, but currently my uh, upstairs neighbor is, uh, I believe, hanging an entire gallery worth of pictures in their apartment. Uh, so if you hear that banging, that's what that is. Oh, um, no, I can't hear it at all. I apologize Thank if God. you can hear my upstairs neighbor who is a composer and plays music frequently, especially when I'm doing self-tapes. And I'm like, this self-tape is just going to have a soundtrack. And can have a nice backing track to it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. If you don't want random sounds in the backs of my self-tapes, then you should bring me into a studio to tape them like I did in the old days. No, I, I love our opening and closing songs. But we never have any music for like the 60 minutes in between. So, you know, the first time for everything. Great. I'm just imagining you doing like a very, very serious, like dramatic uh, self-tape or something and just having like your upstairs neighbor just blasting. I I know because they're a composer, they're probably not playing this, but I'm just imagining them playing like Careless Whisper. Very, very, very loud. It's usually piano. So it's usually better. Like, like the vibe fits better than that. Uh, but it doesn't always match perfectly. <laughs> if For you book me, a role like, because they have a backing track on your self tape, do you owe them a percentage? No. Like, like if that's the thing, <laughs> absolutely not. For for me, the uh, the the song that comes to mind when I think of a, a neighbor making noise is "Temperature" by Sean Paul, and I cannot tell you why that is. Was that all you heard through the walls when you lived back in Jersey? No, I don't. I don't know. Sounds plausible, though. I've got nothing. Uh, yeah. Say, uh, okay, so we're going to shift a little bit here to something less baseball-focused, but still kind of baseball-focused. Uh, so your new movie, Cryptid, that's going to be on Video On Demand soon. January 3rd. Is, yeah, which is basically like an early birthday present for Schwabzi and I. Well, so can can now I know what it is, but can you can you explain to Jordan and the people at home what what a cryptid is in case someone does not know what a cryptid is? I I do. I definitely do. Uh, A cryptid, gentle listeners, is basically a creature that is purported to exist, but there is not scientific proof that it exists. So a couple that my character mentions in the movie is, quote, like Bigfoot or Loch Ness. Those are those are like classic examples of a cryptid. Like our listeners. <laughs> There's not scientific proof that your listeners exist. <laughs> Indeed. No offense, listeners. It's hard to uh, see listener footprints. Do you know what I mean? Like their listeners are always blurry in photographs. Uh, something that I've always wondered is like, what if Bigfoot's just blurry? What if the photographs are perfectly in focus, but like the creature's just blurry? It's like a, a a strange cloaking feature that it has. Like the creature vibrates so fast that it can't be perceived. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. I think that'd be cool. That's not uh, what, what happens in this movie, but. 
when you talked about <laughs> listener footprints, I don't know why my mind jumped to the uh, the footprints on the beach story. And like, I looked behind me and there was only one set of footprints because Bigfoot was carrying me. Because <laughs> Schwebsy was carrying you're... me. Because Schwebsy and Jordan were carrying me. Yeah. <laughs> Jordan does carry me on this podcast. That is true. That is not true at all. Also, when I imagine the footprints on the beach story, I imagine like there's only one set of footprints because no one is following us along on this journey, which is this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> We've lost them. They're gone. Oh. <laughs> They've turned around and walked back to the car. Uh, <laughs> but in regards to cryptids, is there a cryptid? I, I, I assume that you have at least some in mind here. Is there a cryptid that you would most or least like to have as a ball player for the Phillies? <laughs> um, well, you know. I, I initially, I did some research on like different kinds of cryptids when we shot this movie. And I think that there's mm. a creature called a Jersey devil. Correct. That's yes. Like a horse with bat type wings in contrast to the sort of bird type wings of the Pegasus that Aaron Nola rides. And yes. I, I just feel like a, a player of that particular makeup would be a pretty good fielder, you know, like they could really get to balls. They could really snag balls out of the air. It would be home run robbery all the time if it was like a horse with bat wings. And like it would probably also tear around the bases. Horses are very fast, even if they don't have wings. And I'm not exactly sure how it would bat. But with the wings. With the wings. Oh, I was thinking like if it batted by holding the bat in its teeth, airbud style, then there would be a real question of like what the strike zone really was. And if that was the case, maybe it would just strike, maybe it would just like walk a lot. Um, mm. But I do like that it would just use its wings to bat. That makes sense. Um, I feel well, like not wings. I, I like the idea of it running the bases because I'm, I, I'm, I'm sure as baseball fans, everyone has seen the clip of Mr. Ed sliding into home plate. A classic. <laughs> A cl- yes. Absolute classic. <laughs> An absolute classic. Although I was recently, I was thinking about this. Uh, my reference to Airbud is um, not an accident because I have been also preparing for us to grade on the 20 to 80 scouting scale for baseball prospects, the movie Airbud. Yes. And, uh, and, 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 there's Airbud seventh inning fetch, indeed. And there's this moment also where Airbud slides. It's not as hilarious as Mr. Ed sliding, which is truly one of the great cinematic achievements of the 20th century. But it made me think about not the same advantage for a dog to slide as it is for a human, because like the long part of their body is already running. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're not, yeah. you're not actually extending your body that much by sliding. You're, you're just like slowing yourself down. Anyway, this is one of only, this is only one of many, many baseball accuracy problems that I am uh, prepared to have with Airbud seventh inning pitch. What I'm mostly thinking about though, is the fact that you Airbud, while sliding doesn't make a lot of sense, maybe a head first slide would make sense, but also I think Airbud would be, would be a really good first baseman because you have to often stretch for, for balls. And like with pets, what's, what's something they do better than anything? Ooh, big stretch. Big stretch. Mm, it's true. It's true. I mean, it, that, they do put Airbud at first base in the movie. Um, do they really? Yes, because he can't really throw, I oh, assume. Fair. But to me, this actually feels like a waste of his range 
You know, like a, a golden retriever can run faster than a person. And so like a golden retriever in the outfield would be a real mm. advantage. Mm. You know, I mean, I yes. Be fantastic it, at scoops. It, excellent. I mean, this dog is snagging balls out of the air left and right in the entire movie. So, yeah. Anyway. Um, cryptid. Other cryptids <laughs> that would be good. Um, is Air Bud a cryptid? <laughs> I... I mean, there's no scientific proof that a dog can play basketball, volleyball, football, soccer, and baseball. So, yes, maybe. Um, I, think, it, I think baseball is when he jumped the shark. I think I believed all the rest. It's, I mean, there are a lot of problems with the dog batting. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to get too much into my own podcast. But yeah, like when he swings, he can't keep his eye on the ball. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, a chupacabra would also be a good, like, really fierce relief pitcher. Mm. You just have to make sure if your chupacabra is on the Phillies that it doesn't eat the Galapagos gang. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think the Jersey Devil is the obvious 1-1 of, of cryptids to draft for a baseball team. See, for me, I think it's the Mothman. I think I think that the Mothman would probably be my favorite one, basically because the whole mythos behind the Mothman is that the Mothman will appear at what amount to essentially tragic events. And I think because of that, it would make for a great closer because the minute it leaves the bullpen and the opposing team sees it, their hopes are just completely dashed. Yeah. See, I don't, I don't know if mine qualifies as a cryptid or if it's more of an urban legend, mm -hmm. but Slenderman, because he's got that Jake DeGrom, Tristan McKenzie body type, and I, I feel like he can sling it. That extension, though. Yeah, right? He's releasing the ball six feet away from home plate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those would both be excellent. I do wonder at what point some like I feel like it needs to be sort of animal like in order to be considered a cryptid. But yeah, yeah, I'm probably cheating. I always want the edge. I'm I I don't play fair. Look, I look. I'm not here. I'm not here to legislate look, though. I'll accept look, Slenderman, it. Slenderman. Slenderman is striking out Airbud or 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 the Jersey Devil 100 percent of the time. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. Yeah, no what matter how the Jersey Devil can bat, the Jersey Devil is best is definitely like a defense speed first type of a player, you know. It's a very deep internet cut. I'm just gonna say something. Schwebzy's gonna get it. Ellen, I'm sorry if you don't get it. Uh Air <laughs> I already know what you're gonna say. Airbud is Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> and Slenderman is that man from TikTok that talks about striking out Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> that's it i'm sorry ellen if you don't understand that reference i know who timothy chalamet is <laughs> there's basically a man on tiktok we have a tiktok <laughs> to send you later right. is what this means thank you i need education on TikTok. yes well, we, we we promise to give you some just semblance of context for this i would strike out the jersey <laughs> devil jersey devil you were struck out the moment you were born uh anyways oh, sorry God. uh also so Something that I thought about while writing these questions and stuff that we were going to talk about, too, is basically Philly has the market cornered on mascots that are essentially cryptids that get W-2s from the state of Pennsylvania. 
because you have gritty for the flyers and you have the fanatic like what like those are well there is like scientific proof we see them obviously but like from like a visual standpoint those are absolutely both cryptids i don't think science has confirmed gritty yeah yeah he's just he's continuing to be a a symbol of the extreme left and yes no one has ever actually seen him uh, yeah, no, I think that that's that's a really that's quite an excellent point. I mean, although although the lore, of course, about the Philly fanatic is that he's from the Galapagos, which would lead you to believe that there is some sort of like scientific proof for the Philly fanatic existing other than, you know, the obvious that many hundreds of people have had popcorn dumped upon them by the Philly fanatic in any given year. But yes, they're they're exactly, you know, if if you saw, let us imagine a world in which you saw like a real Philly fanatic or a real gritty, yeah. like not a person in a suit, but like that, but just an animal. Yeah, total cryptid category. Yeah. I thought so too. Also, I got to ask, do you think that the fanatic does the fanatic migrate uh to, between seasons? Like back to the Galapagos, do you think? I hope so. It's so cold. Yeah. It is so cold. He doesn't have pants. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that part. He does. He's very, uh, uh, he, he's got a uh, blubber like stored for the winter, you know? It's true. It's true that he does. I mean, I haven't seen him fly personally. Um, I mean, you know, I don't know. Maybe he just takes Southwest like everybody else. Um. It has occurred to me that an old Phillies mascot, were you ever familiar with hip hop? This was a mascot for the Sixers for like a minute. Jordan furiously Googling. And it was a it was a relatively ill-conceived kind of like muscular rabbit man. Oh, this is full. This is full. Uh... That I think oh, wow. would also qualify. Um, is this? Okay. I think Swoop so, is clearly just an eagle, like no big deal. But I think, yes. yeah, hip hop and and the I'm trying to remember what the name of the uh, Sixers dog mascot. They have a dog mascot now. It, it's um, terrible. We were actually not, talking about great, this yesterday. It's not great, but it's also pretty clearly just like a dog. You were talking yeah. about this yesterday. This was a this was a potential topic that we were going to bring to you, because Gritty and the Fanatic are so iconic and fantastic, and then the Seventy Sixers just have a blue dog. It's a real fail. Yeah, I said I think what I said yesterday when we were talking about it is that it looked like like an Australian Shepherd had a baby with an ABA basketball. <laughs> is what it looks like to me. It it looks like Bluey the children's cartoon if Bluey was a cryptid. Yeah. We don't know if you're a Bluey fan or not. I I grew up without a television, so I don't have strong opinions. The Philly Fanatic was my was my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> has there ever been a team that does like has done like a cartoon, speaking of which, like with their mascot? Well, I mean, I feel like the Philly Fanatic is I oh, I see what you're saying. Like have they ever had like an actual like cartoon program where they have like the mascot in it as the main character i wonder if a team has ever attempted to do that i i would watch the blooper 
adult animation cartoon. Like, I would watch the blooper oh, yeah. Adult Swim series. I mean, I'd watch an Adult Swim series. Ideally, I feel like it would be the best if it was all of the mascots, but as a cartoon. Like a mascot house that they all live in. I mean, just God. like a world in which all the characters are mascots, you know? So it wouldn't, it wouldn't need to be like yep. literally every single one. But yeah, like. Yeah, I'm watching that. I mean, I totally think, obviously, the Philly Fanatic should be one of the main characters, but yeah. I think every mascot in that show should talk, except the Philly fanatic should still not talk and just do his tongue thing. I, I, I 100% agree. I'm on board with that. You know who I really want to be in that show is the very sweet mascot that was designed for the New York Yankees by the same person who designed the Philly fanatic. His name was Dandy and he was adorable like just very like jim henson style mascot for the yankees look at this absolute bowling pin wow such a cutie (laughs) such a cutie but the yankees were like "Mm, no we don't really do mascots and so they relegated dandy to sort of the upper level for like a season and then banished him forever and i want i want dandy to have a second life on this hypothetical mascot adult cartoon (laughs) this is amazing i like i i'm so glad we did this if for no other reason that now i know dandy's existence yeah Dandy's incredible i would do it i i I would die for dandy (laughs) i decided i I mean i sort of feel the same way beautiful it's got pinstripes but not clothes wait is that his skin yeah it's it's, his, his skin is pinstriped I haven't actually looked at a picture of him in a while. <laughs> Would you say that it's skin striped? Ah. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bad joke. But he's also got a he's also What's got a Nicholas belt. Patrick Pollock doing here. Wait, what? Where? Because it, it, it I don't know. It seemed like a Nick kind of a joke. Oh, uh Oh, I see. that's me. You're saying it's me. I'm Nick. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah. It's just terrible wordplay is just the picture list brand, and we have bought in fully. Oh, I love it so much. I live for it. Yeah, I guess that's his, I mean, you know, he's, oh, his little mustache. He's perfect. Right? He's a perfect, I mean, he's really, he's like the Yankees equivalent of a Philly fanatic. Do you know what I mean? Like this, this little guy was just made to be a Yankees fan and they (laughs) banished him out of existence. Well, it's because he's fun and the Yankees don't do fun. I know. I know. I know. It's like, it's like everything that my parents taught me about a fundamentalist hatred of the Yankees is just constantly true. I hate, I hate when my biases are constantly confirmed. I know, I know. <laughs> All right, so one last cryptid thing. This is a question that Shrubs and I both wrote and found very funny. Uh, which active player is most likely a cryptid in disguise and why is it Brandon Marsh? Oh, that's actually really good. Um, that's really good. I, I see that. I see that. I mean, maybe I could just go with that. For me, I feel like it's pretty obviously Max Scherzer. (laughs) It's like the different colored eyes. It's not just the different colored eyes. It's also the fact that he's just like, and I say this with so much love for Max Scherzer. He's just an animal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 
I've said this so many times, so I apologize if I've said this to you before or I've said this on this podcast, but like one of the things that I love so much about Max Scherzer, despite, uh, besides the fact that he's just an absolutely incredible pitcher and has an amazing slider, is that he seems, when he's on camera, more like when you see an animal on camera than when you see a person on camera. A person on camera is kind of like, I'm on camera, you know, what What do I do? And a dog on camera is just like, what up? I'm a dog. And like, that is the <laughs> the vibe that Max Scherzer brings. So uh, yeah, that's I, why. I buy this. Like there was a, he, he was bit by a dog. Like I, I forget if it was last year or the year before. And I loved making the joke that it was actually him that bit the dog. And, but uh, no, yeah, I absolutely buy this. Uh, but I, I like, the marsh thing i i think brandon crawford who we brought up before is a possibility because either mm-hmm. they're a cryptid or there's somebody following them around with a spray bottle constantly like why are they always wet i have an answer for this which is that between innings brandon marsh goes and wets his hair not his beard just his hair because he likes the feeling of it being wet better and in an interview about this very subject garrett stubb says it's because it it gives him a freaking edge. I mean, that's not the word that he used, but I, this is a picture list podcast. He said, you know, that guy knows how to get a freaking edge. So that's that's why he wets it. But he we are the bad wet. boys of picture list. So if if anyone were to to ever swear on a picture list podcast, it would be this one. But we won't do that. I feel like we I feel like we have sworn on this podcast. We, and I think I bleeped it. Right. We have we have a soundbite of friend of the podcast and person that we both love, Michael Ahedo, mm. uh, just saying the word beep and we have that sound clip and we play that over any curses that accidentally make their way in. Perfect. Yeah. Well, I caught myself. One slips out on accident. We got you covered. Uh, all, right. all right. So enough crypto talk. Let's uh, end the episode here with the thing that we're doing throughout the off season, which is we are going in 50 pick sections down the draft board. So by ADP, we've gotten all the way down to picks 400, to 499 or sorry 449 excuse me uh and we're all picking one player out of this range that we kind of like and think is uh worth your time in that area so uh shrubsy let's start with you and then we'll have ellen go and then i'll cap it off uh who did you pick for your player so i was so into this player in september and at the beginning of draft season and i'm 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 wavering a little bit as like rotation spots dry up but i'm very into drew smiley this offseason and i can't shake the feeling the thought that he is going to wind up being one of the bargains of this offseason once he finally signs like if he winds up at with a fifth spot in like i don't know oakland or san francisco i'm the very into him i leaned on smiley really hard as a streamer towards the end of the 2022 season and mostly got rewarded for it because he put up a 1.2 era in his last three starts with a strikeout per inning which is fantastic from a a September streamer. Uh, He did some really interesting things this year overall. He traded some sinkers for cutters and basically made his curveball his primary pitch. There aren't a lot of curveball first pitchers in baseball, like even out of the bullpen. So for a starter to do it is is just, you know, weird. And uh, he pairs his curveball with a, a pretty elite sinker so his even though his cutter isn't fantastic, it's generally located well and is a, a perfectly fine third pitch. His pitch like characteristics are so strange also. 
like I mentioned that he throws his curveball a lot. He throws it 43% of the time. It doesn't look like a good curveball. It doesn't get a lot of vertical movement. It doesn't get a lot of horizontal movement. It's it's pretty slow. And you would think like a loopy curveball would move a lot. Not the case. It's slow. It doesn't move a lot. It's very effective. It's so strange. And then he pairs that with a sinker. And when we hear sinkers generally, you know, in, in the when we're analyzing pitches, I when I hear a high CSW sinker, I think that it's getting a lot of called strikes like a, like a Brady singer sinker. Not the case here. Drew Smiley elevates his sinker frequently and gets a lot of whiffs on it. He gets so many whiffs on it compared to like the league average sinker. He's a really interesting, I, I want to say completely unique pitcher. Like this is not a profile that you ever see. Curveball first with an elite sinker. Like I really can't think of that many like, you know, sinker primary and then curveball secondary pitchers that are good, you know, let alone primary curveball secondary sinker. It's an interesting profile. He's kind of been like a, a, a perpetual sleeper. Like we've been waiting for him to have a really good year for a long time now. I, I think if he winds up in the right situation, that uh, I'm going to be all over him this draft season. But that also comes with the caveat that if he winds up on like, I don't know, the Reds, I'm really not going to be interested. Because he does throw uh, a, a relatively uh, n- not not fast sinker up in the zone a lot. I feel like if he winds up in a, a home run friendly ballpark, he's maybe not going to be the value that I want him to be. But if he does wind up in a good situation, I'm I'm going to be all over this. I I like the profile. He's a very interesting pitcher, and this is the first ADP range that we've done this exercise with. That I wasn't like, oh my god, there is just a wealth of options here. I, I think we're starting to get into like the the desert of uh, the ADP ranges. Yeah, things definitely feel like they're drying up a little bit. There's still people that are interesting here, right? But also, as we work further down this draft board, as the season goes on, or sorry, as we get closer to the season, um, it's just going to get thinner and thinner and thinner, and we're going to have to find different levels of upside, I guess more than anything like a lot of it's going to be like volume based as we get deeper and deeper i would assume but i i do think smiley's profile is super duper interesting like you pointed out um i've always loved drew smiley i just even when i feel like i shouldn't even in moments where i'm like you're no good for me drew smiley i don't know if it's just like i like lefties from arkansas like i don't i don't know i don't know what it is um but yeah i think it i think it is that he has He's always had such a sort of interesting pitching mix and like interesting pitching style. And it's always kind of changing. Um, So that just makes it sort of endlessly fascinating. (laughs) What are you doing now, Drew Smiley? He was on the Phillies for a minute. Most people probably forget that, but not me. Because I was like, Drew Smiley, you're a Philly. And a lot of times when you're talking late ADP pitchers, there's not a lot of strikeout upside there. And mm-hmm. I do think that Smiley has it in him to be a strikeout per inning arm. He he didn't always do that this past year, but later in the year, he, you know, he he was, I, I, I talked him up on the podcast a lot as a late season streaming option last year. And the line that I, I threw out a lot was like a, a, a strikeout upside streamer, which we, you know, you just don't see a lot of very, you know, late in drafts, late in season on the free agent wire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you, I mean, Drew Smiley 
helped you lock down your because what he was pitching for the Cubs at the end of the year last year. Yep. Yeah, he was. Yeah, so he was big for my only league. Yep. Yeah, I do remember that. Talked about how many streams you got out of him and how much value value he actually gave you. Very he he did. He did get absolutely annihilated against the Cardinals in one September start. So it wasn't all roses, but he he was a, you know, they have a good offense, and you probably weren't streaming him against them anyway. But it, you know, in he might just be that. He might just be a high upside streamer, which you know has its place. Totally fine. Yeah. All right, Ellen. Let's go to your player, which I think we're going to stick with. Uh, close to home, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, probably. I mean, actually, there are a lot of players here who are interesting, and uh, but I'm going to go ahead and pick the low-hanging fruit for me personally and say Andrew Painter. Uh, so the Phillies named Andrew Painter their minor league player of the year, and he might be the second best pitching prospect after Grayson Rodriguez, and some people even say that he's the best. And so, yeah, Andrew Painter is who I'm picking. Uh he had, for those who are perhaps not familiar with Andrew Painter's work in this past uh, season, he had a 1.56 ERA in 113 innings in A and AA last year with a 13.7 strikeout per nine. And he has a fastball that sits 96 to 98 and it can touch 99. And it plays very well with his slider, and uh, which has a lot of bite. And he also has a good curve and a changeup. And key to all of this is that Dombrowski has said that Painter, Mick Abel, and Griff McGarry are all getting invites, invites to the big league camp um, to compete for the fifth roster spot. Uh, in theory, Bailey Falter and Christopher Sanchez are also in that conversation. So it is not impossible that he could have a spot from the start of the year um, because Dombrowski said some things about, you know, clearly some of these guys are further along than others. And I think who he meant is Andrew Painter is further along than Mick Abel and Griff McGarry. Now, do I think that that is extremely likely? I don't know. I mean, honestly, I thought that Stott wouldn't necessarily break camp last year, and then he ended up doing that. Um, but I did think that we would see him at some point in the season sooner rather than later. And that is the same way that I feel about Andrew Painter, uh, even though I know that it's a little different for pitchers versus position players because there are innings concerns for pitchers. Um, so he's probably not doing more than 150 innings, and obviously it might be less than that. Now, Dombrowski also said something about how it might be two, but it probably won't be two. Uh, because if there are two young pitchers who deserve uh, who look like they deserve a spot, I would 100% do that if I were running the Phillies. Honestly, I mean, part of me even wishes that they would like sign another vet and make the young guys compete for a sixth spot and just plan to have a six-man rotation because mm -hmm. no one has thrown more innings since 2018 than Aaron Nola. And Wheeler also struggled last year health-wise, coming off from throwing more innings than anyone else in 2021 after the shortened 2020 season. Walker, as we discussed, always, uh, you know, often gets injured. Ranger Suarez could probably, is like a bulldog and could probably run out there every fourth day if you wanted him to. But you could manage your young pitcher's arms as well as, you know, dealing with your other pitchers, having such a large workload, having had a deep run into the postseason. So, 
that's what I would do. I'm not saying that's what they will do, but I think that it's certainly, I think that certainly we see Andrew Painter next year. That's my prognostication. Whether or not he starts the season on the Phillies roster is another question, but that's not out of the question. This doesn't mean a ton, but it's really fun that he pitched across three levels this year as a 19-year-old. He started in low A, walked almost 11% of the batters he saw, and then he went up and still dominated. And then he went up to high A, struck out 4.9% of the batters he saw, less than half. Yeah, it's dominated. And then he moved up to double A as a 19-year-old, walked, sorry, did I say struck out him and he walked 4.9%. And then he, he moved up to double A and he walked one8 percent of the batters he saw half again Goofy. which is silly what, what are those things work right exactly that doesn't work that way but he he did it and it's it's impressive stuff yeah it's very exciting it's exciting to be like oh maybe the phillies can develop a pitcher we'll see <laughs> another one four years yeah i mean aaron nola <sighs> no i love I, I love the pickup painter i think the the biggest thing that you pointed out that will be a limitation whether he breaks camp is obviously the innings. Um, but even so, as someone like in a deep, deep league, if you want to take and stash someone like Andrew Painter, I feel like that's a great, great pickup at that point. Because again, we're sitting at pick 400 to 449. You're happy to take someone as a flyer at that point in the draft because most of these are going to be lottery tickets anyways, right? So I do love that. And why not someone who's arguably one of the best if not the best pitching prospect in the majors or in the minor leagues right now so i did yeah. that pick yeah and that i mean unless obviously you know barring injury i just feel for sure yeah. he's going to be up at some point next year i, I for feel sure that. yes um so yeah it's exciting who you got all right i am going like the exact opposite direction in terms of age i'm going to take the elder statesman of this group which is Corey kluber oh yeah so Corey Kluber, while he didn't strike out that many people last year, he only had like a 20% strikeout rate, 20.2, sorry. Uh, in weighted earned strike rate, he was 29th in the league amongst qualified starters. Uh, he was like sandwiched right between like Christian Javier and Luis Garcia. Uh, threw a ton of strikes, walked almost no one. He had a 3% walk rate last year, which is by far the lowest of his career. I don't think that's necessarily sustainable, uh, but I think it's a good... In- indication of kind of like what his game has to be for him to be successful um along with that i was looking at his pitcher list page he has like three two official but like three unofficial money pitches on his hand so his cutter his curveball and his changeup all fall within the parameters of being a money pitch uh by nick and alex's parameters so Ching. i think that's super duper exciting yeah that's not common we, yeah we don't we don't have the uh the budget for sound effects on this so we have to have <laughs> that's our why guests. you know i just did my own foley thank you yeah it's just and i mean i wasn't expecting that when i went to look at his page obviously i think the big concerns are age for sure and then also his fastball velo is only like 89 maybe 90 miles per hour He's not going to be blowing anyone away. Uh, Fortunately, he's just like leaning into his off-speed pitches for the most part. So he throws his cutter 34% of the time. The curveball gets thrown 27% of the time. Change up 10%. Obviously, that's only getting thrown to left-handed hitters, right? Um, But across the board, just 
a lot to be optimistic about. I think the biggest thing naturally is going to be where does he actually land? Cause he is still a free agent. Uh, and I think if I'm at this point in a draft, I'm going to capitalize on the uncertainty of where he's going and just take that flyer and try to grab him. Cause I think the peripheral data there uh, is really supportive of him having a solid campaign. If he can stay healthy, I think I'll give you like 150 to 160 pretty solid innings at that point. It's really crazy that he went from throwing 35 innings in 2019 to one inning in 2020 to 80 in 2021 to almost leading the team in innings pitched this year. Yeah, he was just behind uh, McClanahan yeah. by like one inning, maybe like maybe like a, a couple outs. It was wild what uh, crazy. the old timer did. And he cut his walk rate like dramatically like that while like it, it, he walked 1.15 per nine and that gives him such a strong floor like for, uh, for just mm. from allowing uh not allowing base runners on the subject of the rays i feel like oh. i could also mention in this particular range zach efflin like yes when the rays decide to give someone the largest free agent contract in their team's <laughs> history. You just Sounds so much to, more impressive than it is. Yeah, you just have to imagine that they see something. And, I mean, I also see something in Zach Eflin. Yeah, like, not a ton of strikeouts, but, like, that's a good curveball. And actually starting to use it in 2020 and then using it more than ever was is, like, a game changer when that particular pitch is on. And he has a cutter now which is effective. Thanks, Caleb Cotham. And I mean, the problem here is that he has 0.25 combined knees. Um, and I mean, <laughs> I, like, that's the sort of thing that, that like, even in my thinking about this, I'm like, do the Rays know something about how to work with 0.25 combined knees? I, I, I don't know. Because um, to me, m- my question, and I, I understand that I've maybe been more fond of Zach Eflin than have other people. Uh, my question has never been, is he going to be a good pitcher when he's pitching? It's more just like, how can he possibly stay in the field? But maybe they're planning on pitching him with an opener. But also, I, maybe they aren't. Because actually, when he's healthy, he can pitch deep into games. You know, he has four main pitches, and then he has two sort of like show-me pitches. So he's got he's got actually a good arsenal. Um, so yeah, we'll see what the Rays do with Zach Eflin. Interesting having the Rays acquire Eflin when they're kind of notorious for not managing injuries well. Mm. Like mm-hmm. pitching injuries and the Rays do do go together. But I mean, with that contract they gave him, they have to view him as a starter. They're not giving that contract oh, to no. a reliever. No. So it's going to be interesting to see how how the uh, you know well, unstoppable and, and force for- and the immovable object go together. Yeah, and and that they're also planning on using him as a starter for a while. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If it was like an incredibly high AAV, but just one year, they would be like, oh, the Rays are planning on running Zach Eflin into the ground. But like, no, you're going to have to pay him for a while to be a starter. So, I mean, I hope he's great. (laughs) And it's interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at this list of players, too. There's actually more interesting names than i expected at first glance uh we, like, i mean there, there's folks like i mean like Tarek school is kind of cool obviously i'm still like interested somewhat in spencer turnbull coming back from yeah. injury as like someone who's like a super late flyer uh brandon uh fought who uh our new staffer chris clegg 
just wrote an article on and released today on the day that we're recording this, uh, also in this range, uh, an Arizona prospect that he's very high on. Um, Anthony DiSclefani, a perpetual injury bug man. Uh, and then also Kyle Harrison for San Francisco is super cool too. Wait, is he, is he a cryptid? Bug, injury, bug man? Injury bug man? Yes. But, uh, all right. Uh, I think that's going to be it for this week's episode of In the Deep. Thank you all so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Ellen, thank you for spending the time with us once again. We appreciate it. Oh my goodness. It's absolutely such a pleasure for me. This is my just... favorite two hours of every year. <laughs> same. Same. Really good. Yeah. I, I deeply appreciate contributing to the Mice Will Play energy anytime. Thank you so much. Uh, do you want to quick plug any uh, of your podcast stuff at the end of the episode here and then like Twitter and everything like that, whatever you desire? Oh, sure. Um, yeah. So on Twitter, I'm at Ellen underscore Adair. And on Instagram, I'm at Ellen Adair G. And if anybody knows what's the other place that I should be joining, not TikTok, like the other like I don't know. Let me know because I just I want there to be a consensus. Like let yeah. let's all like stay on Twitter or let's like go somewhere else. It just feels so much like being at a party with a bunch of actors and like the bar is closing and everybody's like you gotta go somewhere and like but like nobody's presenting a clear alternative. Anyway, you know, hit me up on Twitter at Ellen underscore Adair and tell me where else to go. Um, and uh, uh, my podcast that I mentioned is uh, Take Me Into the Ball Game. Uh, I do have another podcast called Love Takes Action, um, which is not at all baseball related. It's basically like interviewing people about kind of turning points in their lives and, you know, the way that other people have helped them or people have, where they have helped other people. It's, it's beautiful. It like, yeah, gives me faith in being alive in 2022 almost 2023 and we are going to have a second season of that hooray so um but the first season of that is out for folks to listen to heck yeah excellent all right uh with that that'll be this week's episode of in the deep once again thank you all for joining us we appreciate it if you want to follow schwebzy and i on socials you can find our shared twitter account at in the dpl you can also follow us individually at schwebzy for schwebzy that's s-h-w-e-b-s-i and then myself at Bunt Singles, and we will be back in two weeks with another episode. Gubsy and Ellen, send them out. Hi, friends. I told you I was going to slip another one in there. Bye, friends. You did it. Yay.